not only should we be getting away from having emotions and that as you mature in your walk with Jesus that you have less emotions, but there's this thought that God himself is kind of impervious to emotions, right? That God can't experience pleasure or pain from external actions happening. That we'll, we'll see this, it's actually known as divine impassibility. Divine impassibility is this thought that, right, that others cannot pass through and affect what is divine. And so that God himself is totally unaffected by the things around him, which means ultimately what the thought is, is that God doesn't feel. That's the thought process is that God doesn't feel. And if God doesn't feel, if God is utterly stoic, if he's unfeeling, if he's that divine, divinely impassable, and if This I sound is processed by Stereo Tool. Go to stereotool.com. Conformed into his image means that I need to not have emotions or I need to press away emotions or I need to try to pull myself into a place uh, of not being, not having or not experiencing emotions. Or I should be affected less by the things that are going on around me. In fact, you can go back to one of the church fathers, fourth century leader named Origen. It says that apatheia, or that place of no pathos or no feelings is to be seen as the crown of all virtues in the life of a believer. So this is one of the early church fathers looking at emotions and saying, you should be, as you grow, distancing yourself from this thing. And that the height of, if you will, maturity is to not feel at all. And so we've had these ideas about God seeing him as more unattached or unemotional and unaffected by the world around us. Therefore, I'll be more spiritual if I'm unaffected. And, and, and the things that I see, I have less emotion about. And so the only problem with that thought process is it's not biblical. It's not in the word. The Bible is actually abundantly clear. God feels all the feels. God feels all the feels. In fact, our wiring, our wiring as humans made in the image of God comes from him, meaning we're emotional beings because he is emotional and an emotional being. I mean, we can see this all throughout the scripture. I'm just gonna go through a few of them. We already throw up there. One, God feels jealousy. Exodus chapter 20, you're there. You can look at verse five. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, listen, I wanna make a, maybe just a moment of distinction. God isn't jealous of anything, God is jealous for someone, meaning you and me. Jealous for something. And this ultimately is the expression of love, right? This is the God who knows without question that every other God, every other idol is ultimately a demonically inspired counterfeit that will destroy lives. So for God to be jealous for a people is an expression of radical love and devotion to his people. Let me give you a for instance. I am super jealous for and into 
my wife. She's great. And I have this thought process that goes like this. She's great and she's mine forever. And if any of you dudes wanna kind of bow up on that, I'm ready to go, all right? (laughs) Because I am jealous for my wife. And if I came and was like, hey, there's some guy kind of trying to mack on your wife. I don't know, I don't know if the, how that works, but I'm just saying, you know, a guy coming around trying to mack on you. I don't know, mack on your wife. Not that this is, I'm just imagining this because I want to get into a fight a little bit. Like, I don't know. I just, no, okay, I need to move on. But anyway, but you can imagine if, if, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, you're, there's someone that's interested in your wife and trying to take her from you. If I were like, yeah, okay. then you would, you would, I think, I think you would say, do you even love your wife? All right. The, the jealousy I feel for my wife is the expression of my radical love and devotion to her. So we get to see this emotion from the king of the universe who says, I'm jealous for my people. And he knows deep down every other place of worship every other idol is this demonically inspired counterfeit that destroys. And he's saying, I don't want that for you. I don't want whatever thing can raise itself up. The father, if you will, God feels that for you and me. It's beautiful. It's a powerful picture. Song of Solomon 8, 6, set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm, there's this picture of this romantic love that's blowing up between these two people. And here's this song going forward. And he says this, look at what he says. For love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. This picture of a man and a woman, of course, we know by the grace of God, marriage is the shadow, the picture of divinely being connected forever to one we've made a covenant with, we're in covenant with, with the Lord right? That legitimate jealousy that flows from a part of being loving. The heart of the Father feels that for us. God feels that for us. It's good. All right, God feels sadness. People of God are off the wagon as we see all throughout the scripture, right? Jeremiah chapter eight, this lament is powerful, this is my joy, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and their foreign idols? Again, seeing the pain that's coming from this. Verse 21, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Right, the people of Israel have rebelled and brought punishment on themselves and God's heart is torn, sad. More than anything, he's wanting his people to return, to be healed, to be whole. Longs for them to have the best in him, even in the midst of their rebellion. And God feels sad for that disconnection going on. Sadness, it's an emotion that we all feel. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, just that instruction. Do not 
grieve the Holy Spirit, which ultimately means this, the Holy Spirit is grievable. He has emotions. The Holy Spirit of God has emotions. And the encouragement from Paul to the churches, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, calling people up into this place of saying, hey, there's, a, there's an emotional, real God who's really for you. Let's not grieve him. So he's speaking to these emotions, right? God feels anger. God feels anger. In fact, I think if, if there are one emotional attribute given to the Lord by the world, by people, it's this one, right? It's like almost all the other emotions we can talk about, but the one, this, this angry one, that's the one we often think, man, that's who God is. God's angry. He's ready to strike me down whenever I mess up or whenever we get off the track. He's coming after me. We have that thought, but that's actually not at all the representation of the scripture when we see the Lord in anger. In fact, Psalm 103, what does it say? God is slow to anger and abounding in love. He's not looking to come and strike down, but yet his anger is this beautiful place of drawing us back into his presence, right? Anger itself, again, righteous anger, healthy, beautiful anger comes from a place of love as well, right? Any of you parents out there, you've got kids and you see something coming against your kids, right? What, ha- what rises up? Mama bear, right? <laughs> something coming up against your kids. You know, whether it's something from the outside coming or something that they're choosing to do that's destroying, right? And what happens? I do- Come on, I'm ready to destroy that thing, right? That comes from that heart of love. This is... There's a beautiful emotion of anger and we see it in God. And so what we'll see all throughout, and I could go on and on and on, but what we're going to see from the scripture is absolutely clear. The God of heaven is an emotional being. He has all the feels. That's who he is. He is affected by what happens on this earth. He is not distant from it. And in fact, We'll get to see and we'll talk more and more through this. But not only is he have emotion about what's going on, not just in this world, but in our lives, but what we're going to see over and over and over and over and over again is he's ready to go into the middle of it, to get into it with us and meet us in that place. He isn't this cosmic Dr. Spock, right, against all feelings and emotions, trying to be kind of the one who uh, is, uh, you know, trying, trying to figure this thing out through logic. We see all throughout he's emotional. Therefore, made in his image, we are emotional. He is loving and passionate, and he is deeply affected by what happens on this planet and what happens in our lives. Now, here is the difference, all right, between God's emotions and our own experience is that God has all the feels that we feel, but he isn't controlled by the feels. And there, this is where we're going. 
is that God has this incredible record of emotion throughout the scripture, but he's not controlled by it. And in fact, what we'll see is the encouragement through the word of God for us to also with him go there. Listen, Jesus came to restore what was taken. That being made in God's image as emotional beings, there is a beautiful place for all of us to come to in wholeness, emotionally healthy beings, whole emotions, right? We aren't created just to exist and survive. Nobody actually wants that. Nobody's going home just hoping, I hope I make it through the day. Nobody has that desire. We're all wanting to thrive. We are created more than just to survive, but created to experience what the fullness of life. When Jesus himself says, I come that you may have abundant life. That abundant life is not devoid of emotions. I want you to think about that. I don't know, I, I legitimately don't know any way to live an abundant life completely emotionally free. Uh, having, I mean, having no, having no emotions whatsoever. I think it means we'll have all of the feels, if you will, but they'll be in alignment with what the word of God says. And what we know happens when God's spirit comes around is that those who trust and follow Jesus are able to have that same measure of self-control. Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the spirit is what? Can y'all read? Read the words. <laughs> And that was, uh, I totally set you up for that. I never do that. I'm sorry. The fruit of the Spirit is? Oh, you guys are amazing. Fruit of the Spirit is meaning this. God has all these emotions, but guess what? He's not being controlled by the emotions. He's fully in control. And what he's saying is, is when you have the Holy Spirit in you and with you, you're able to have a spirit of self-control. Right, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has given to us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, here's the eternal question. When do you need self-control? When do you, well, that's good. When do you not? When do you especially need self-control? When your emotions are off the rails, Right? When do we need self-control? When the emotional thing is about to come up and take over and we're about to go ape nuts in some way, form, or fashion, right? And the Lord is saying, hey, brother, sister, let's dial it in by the spirit of God. Let's pull this thing back because I have life for you. And so what we'll see is that God is fully emotional, but he's totally in control, there are literally an unlimited number of things that can pull our emotions in a hundred different ways, right? And here's what's great. Even as I'm looking at every person in this room, how differently every one of us is wired. Every one of us so unique. I said, I said earlier, you're, you're beautiful. I said that, I, I, that's not a joke. This is a room of beautiful people. I mean, beautiful, I mean, image bearers. Every one of you so uniquely crafted. And if you have, have, if you have ever experienced one relationship in this life, I mean a friendship, a relationship with a parent, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that you both can come to the same circumstance and you may respond in two completely different ways. And that's the beautiful tapestry that God has put together of this people. Everyone, listen, every one of us, perfect, made perfect in Christ, total expression of who God is. I want you to hear that. You are an expression of who God is. It's who you are. You're crafted in his image, made that way. So we all come to the table bringing these different ways of operating. And the journey that we're on as we walk with Jesus is to understand exactly how it is that we're meant to approach when our emotions are charged, what God has to say about that. Every one of us approaching the circumstances of life saying, Lord Jesus, here are my thoughts, my feelings and emotions. What do you say? And hearing and making that connection. We all come to every experience very differently. Some of you are super chilled out. Listen, great example. Every one of us uh, has a unique way to approach driving in this city. And let's just be more honest. Some of you are road ragers. Okay? And you're like, <laughs> but you know deep down what happens, right? When the roads aren't working the way that you want and how you approach that. And I'm just, and I get to say you because I might potentially have some issues of road rage on the road. I might. I'm just, I'm not confessing. I'm saying <laughs> I might from time to time. Right? Have, listen, something I have no control over whatsoever, something we have no control over whatsoever. All of a sudden, someone cuts you off or puts you in a safe place, or you've got kids in the back, and all of a sudden, you feel the thing coming up inside of you. And the question is, is <clears throat> how are you rightly to respond in that moment? Right? Because I do have a massive grill on the front of my truck, and I will win. <laughs> I'll win. I'm not losing. All right? So it's imperative that my emotions are held in check because I just, there's a little bit, like I've probably just seen a, a couple of too many dystopian movies in the future where like you can do whatever you want to on the road and I've got the grill guard. So I'm just saying, it's important how we respond when the emotion rises. And God wants to bring some clarity and understanding and ultimately that's what this is about. That, that's what the series is about. Jesus himself, when he's on this earth, goes through a wide range of emotions. You can read it through the gospels and see the intensity of the emotions of the son of God. What a beautiful and incredible picture that we get. And so we have these feels, if you will, we all go through them, but by the grace of God, we won't be controlled by them. We're not going to be controlled by them. However, there is one emotion that God has that we're actually meant to live from. One that is meant to move us more than anything else, any other emotion or feeling, and that is joy. Because God feels joy. He feels all the other things we just talked about, but church, hear this. He feels joy and he is intent on sharing that with us. Of all the emotions we see God having, this is the one that's meant to course through our veins. 
to be at the forefront of our hearts and minds. In the book of Nehemiah, the people of God have been rebellious and scattered to the nations and they're trying to come back and reestablish their home. And in the midst of them coming back to reestablish their home, God's being really honest and authentic with them. And what happens is, is as they're trying to return and trying to rebuild their city and their people, as they're doing that, God makes a declaration of the law. He just says, hey, here is my beauty and here is my perfection. It's what the law is. Here's my beauty and my perfection. And as the people are hearing it, they're totally undone. They're in that place where they're going, oh my gosh, how far short have we fallen? How unfaithful have we been? How far have we missed the mark? And they're coming unglued. And, and the God of the universe looks at them and he says, I don't, in fact, I don't want you to go down that road. In fact, I'm calling for a day of celebration. I'm calling for a day of excitement and remembrance of who I am. And in that moment where the people of God feel the weight of their own messiness and their own brokenness and their own sin, he says, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10, listen, she says, church, do, don't be grieved. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can find yourself in a really, really broken place. And what you have is the king of the universe saying, in your messiness, don't forget this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And this, of course, <clears throat> works on a couple of different levels because, you listen, God can have all of the other emotions we just described and still be totally joyful. And he's saying, that is your strength. God is not degraded by all the other emotions that are going on in him. God can be all of those things that we described and yet perfectly happy. So when we say the joy of the Lord is your strength, it doesn't just mean that God wants to give you joy. What he's saying is your strength can be rooted in this. My God is always joyful. I can have totally blown it, but I have not blown it with him for he is for me. His joy is infinite and untouchable. You can't, it can't be degraded. There's no amount of our messiness that degrades the joy of the Lord. And what he's saying is, is come into that. God's happy, always has been. You and I were created out of the delight the Father and the Son and the Spirit eternally had. And they just said, listen, this is awesome. We gotta share this. And he created you and me. God is, was, has eternally been joyful. And what he's saying is, listen, you might have a really, really rough day. I want you to remember this. My joy is your source of strength. I'm fully joyful. I'm okay. I'm moving forward. I see who you are and what's going on in your life and know this. In all the midst of that, the stuff, I'm working for your good always working for you. There's no messiness we've ever been able to introduce to the Lord that has pulled away his ability to have joy and to be working for our good, period. This is what the cross of Jesus accomplished for every one of us.
How can we know that? How can we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you might be walking through a really rough season and God has joy for us to anchor our lives in? Because in the darkest moment in all of human history, the king was operating from his joy. I actually used this scripture last week, but I'm gonna say it again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, went all the way through the cross. Listen, the darkest moment in all of human history, Jesus full of joy. And he's saying, this is what you're meant to live out of and from. This is the one emotion that I want you to anchor yourself in forever. The Lord is slow to anger, but he's abounding in steadfast love constant in working for us, ready to share his joy in the moment, in a moment, never a moment where he isn't ready to give his joy. That's what he is. It's who, it's what he's like. He is fully joyful, therefore able to give us his joy. Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord, your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And what will he do? He will Rejoice over you with singing. This is what he wants to do. This is who he is. He takes his joy and he wants to pour it out over us. Now, I love this scripture because there's some action here. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, about what it might look like for the God of the universe to out of his joy sing over you to sing, to make music. All right, now, hey, listen, we're in Nashville, all right? Everybody's trying to make music out here, okay? We get that. We get the creativity and the making music and all of those things, right? There's nothing, I want you to think about this. There is nothing like the song of God over you, nothing. And he's able to perfectly sing over you in every moment and through every trial and through every battle because Christ has won perfectly the victory. So he's able to look at you and say, well, I, I don't know. I would try to sing over you. I'm just not gonna do that. But I wish I could sing over you, okay? I'm gonna maybe get David up here and make him sing over everybody, all right? For, him, for you to be in a, in a rough place and to be able to come and have a song of joy sung over you. you. You might be in a place right now where you're going, these are some of the hardest days I've ever had to live in in my life. Church, that cannot and will not keep the singing joyful God away from you. He's ready to sing. Will we receive the song? This is what it means when you, listen, it is only a cute coffee mug verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's only a cute coffee mug scripture unless we're willing to believe that God is ready to give it to us at a moment's notice. That he wants to, us to be anchored in his joy. He's okay and he's moving. You can say, hey, I'm not okay, God. That's a, that's a beautiful prayer to pray. But Lord, you are. 
what's your song over me? And open up the word of God and let him sing. This is what he's saying. I wanna anchor you in this. That's the, ultimately the crux of this series. We often have it backwards, right? We think that God has all the emotions. We, we get the anger and we get all that other stuff, but that's not the place that we're meant to live out of. And of course, as we described, all of those things are built out of his love for us, but ultimately what we're meant to anchor our lives in is his joy. That's the crux of this series. And that's what we're going to find. And what we're going to discuss over these next few weeks is, listen, the emotions that we feel as we walk through this life become a byproduct of our thought life, meaning this. What we believe, what we truly believe is going to influence the emotions that we have. The way that we live and operate, what we believe the things that we have in our thoughts, they're gonna dictate our emotions more and more and more, right? Generally speak, speaking, when we think rightly or when our minds are renewed by the word of God, by the spirit of God, it's going to empower good life-giving emotions. And when we think wrongly, or if you will, when our minds are not being renewed according to the word of God, we're going to feel all those feels, if you will. We're gonna experience all those emotions and it's gonna take us into a dark place. So what we're going to battle to do is to talk a little bit through what our beliefs are and how they press on our emotions and what God wants to do in those over these next several weeks. I'm gonna ask our team to come up. We're gonna finish up here. Listen, it's entirely possible you've, right now, it is the hardest thing in the world to think of God being anything else but distant and stoic and a little bit kind of at an arm's distance. And what the Lord, I think, wants to begin to do is to shatter the wrong understandings we have about our emotional God and begin to step into the beauty and the truth of his word. Often I think we, we, the tendency is to think, listen, I'm, God's kind of like my boss and if he wants to talk to me, he can do whatever. Until then, I'm just gonna try to keep making it. And the Lord's saying, that's not how this thing works. God's not the cosmic boss waiting on you to mess up so he can come to your office and fix your mess. He's the one who's ready to share of who he is. Nothing is clearer in all of scripture than a God who's ready to rejoice over you with singing. That's not a stoic boss. That's a king who's ready to come and start to make those exchanges like we did even this morning. We actually have a command from the scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Be joyful always. Now listen, that feels almost daunting, right? You can go, how? How on earth are we joyful always? I, I think about a lot of other emotions I have often. How am I actually, how do we live joyfully? How do we do this thing? What is it gonna look like for us to anchor ourselves in this emotion of joy as we walk and navigate through all the other things, emotions or otherwise that we experience? And of course, the very next scripture right after begins to kind of tell the tale. 1 Thessalonians 5, be joyful always. What does it say after that? Pray continually. 
that statement where we go, hey, I need you. I don't have joy right now. That's not my experience. You know, I'm gonna tell you something right now. The most powerful and beautiful thing is to be able to be candid and authentic with the Lord and say, I'm struggling to find joy and I don't have it to produce it and I'm gonna need it from you. If there's a call, if you will, or a command from the Lord to be rejoicing or joyful always, when we're going through the valley of life, then the only place that we're going to actually receive it is by getting authentic and real with him and saying, here's where I'm, I'm in need of your joy. I don't have it on my own. He goes on to say, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ. So here's the two things. You wanna to begin to walk in joy, it's time one, to say, Lord, I'm not joyful and I need you to be my joy. You're my strength. And number two, I want to remember your faithfulness. I might be walking through a really dark moment, but I'm gonna remember your faithfulness. You've been faithful. I'm gonna give thanks for who you are. I'm gonna tell you there's nothing that shatters all of the broken things we might feel than thankfulness and gratitude for the goodness of God. He will meet us. Stand with me. Let's just, we're gonna finish. Just being able to declare the goodness of God, our need for him, remembering his faithfulness, singing of his goodness. And here's a, a, a Here's what we're going to, here's how we're meant to respond, I think, this morning. If you find yourself struggling to walk in a place of joy, man, it just feels like the enemy is stealing. And you want to be joyful, but maybe you're struggling with that. I, I want to just take the opportunity to minister to you. In fact, I'm going to have um, prayer partners. We'll have a couple of prayer partners over here. If you want to come grab them while we're worshiping, then grab them. They can just be worshiping. And if you want to grab them and just say, hey, pray for me or just connect with me, we're going to make them available. But we'll, And they'll be available after our service as well. But this is this moment where we bring our, we authentically come before the Lord and say, hey, here's where I need your joy. I need you to cover me. I need you to come with me. And if you find yourself in that place, let us pray with you. But let's worship him and let's sing and declare the goodness of God over our lives. Can we do that? Father, I ask right now, just as we finish this morning, by responding to you with words of truth and authenticity as we worship you and remember your goodness. Lord, we call upon you for your joy to be our strength. Would you give us your joy when we can't produce it for ourselves? Would you come over us?